I still can't shake the feeling of being an unfit mother. Maybe because after I have my first daughter, I am made to stand in front of the church and apologize for getting pregnant. It's the TMI Project Podcast, a series of stories about the too much information parts of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. I'm your host, Eva Tenuto. This is Season 3, Stories for Choice. Before we get started, just want to let you know that as the TMI implies, some content might be too much information for some listeners. And remember, your support keeps our content free and accessible to everyone who wants to listen. So if you like what you hear and you're able to chip in, you can do so at tmiproject.org, where you'll also find some really great merch. Either way, thank you. We are so glad you're listening. Let's dive right in. You're about to hear a touching story from Rita about the power of love and personal agency to change not just one's own life, but the lives of emerging generations. Under the arc of this story lies many issues pertaining to reproductive justice. Rita, like her mother and grandmother, began having children when she was a teenager. It's what she calls a family curse. The issues and flaws were systemic, but Rita couldn't help but put the blame and doubt on herself. Resma Menachem, author of My Grandmother's Hands and most recently, The Quaking of America, focuses his work on how trauma lives in the body. He has said in his writing and interviews like this one on the podcast, The Breakfast Club, Trauma in a person over time can look like personality. Mm. Trauma in a family over time can look like family traits, but trauma in a people can look like culture. We have links to both of his books in our show notes and can't recommend his work highly enough. As we've mentioned, choice is about a lot more than just abortion. There is a long history in the reproductive rights movement focusing on issues that are a priority for straight, cis, white women, primarily safe and legal abortion. While legalities are crucial, they can be irrelevant without access. Dr. Elizabeth Lord Rollins is an OBGYN and has been in the medical field for over 30 years and agrees. The difference between reproductive freedom and reproductive justice is it's an accessibility issue. And as we all know in these rooms, black and brown women bear the brunt of that. In general, in this country, more than white women. And it's not just access to abortion, but also to preventative health care, resources for child care, mental health support for parents and education for both parents and also health care providers. And talk about education among the people delivering care. Even when we have care, there's a bunch of different studies on this now that African-American folks go into an emergency room with chest pain if they're seen by a white doctor they may not get a stress test. You know, they're not going to get the same level of care as somebody who's white, who's presenting with the exact same symptoms, the exact same emergency room. Rita's experience illustrates how generational trauma informs her self-image. And it is also an incredibly touching story about how sometimes strength and resilience are only discovered through heartbreak. Here's Rita, who told her story in 2020 as part of TMI Project's Black Stories Matter program. Good evening. My name is Rita Worthington. Thank you. 
At 24 years old, I don't believe I'm a good mother. I don't do drugs or neglect my children, but I'm unmarried, on welfare, and struggle to bond with my four children. I got pregnant when I was 15, had my daughter at 16, and three other children by the time I'm 24. It's a generational curse. My grandmother had children when she was 14. My mother had children when she was very young. Babies having babies. A cycle I'm not even aware of until I'm older. I'm told no one will marry me because no man wants to be burdened down with four children who don't belong to him. I'm happy to say this did not ring true, and I do find someone, fall in love, and get married. But I still can't shake the feeling of being an unfit mother. Maybe because after I have my first daughter, I am made to stand in front of the church and apologize for getting pregnant. That feeling resurfaces at 27 when my youngest daughter, Janissa, a bright, happy five-year-old girl with a brilliant smile, is diagnosed with neuroblastoma, a children's cancer. It's like a ton of bricks has fallen on me. I feel helpless and empty. She doesn't understand what's going on at first. She asks, why me? What did I do? We tell her it isn't her fault. The thoughts of being a bad mother are constant and relentless. The doctors want to do a procedure called stem cell therapy, where they take the good cells and separate them from the bad cells. They tell me the procedure will be quite uncomfortable for her. We travel back and forth to Albany Medical Center, radiation, chemotherapy, IV bags, needles, day in and day out. The doctors tell me that the cancer has wrapped itself around the vital organs in her stomach. Janice's long, pretty black hair falls out from the treatment. This worries her, so we get her every kind of hat and bandana a girl could ever want. They become her fashion statement. For three years, Janissa receives weekly treatments at Albany Medical. Her cancer goes into remission when she's eight years old. Her hair grows back. She gains her weight back. For a whole year, she's healthy. The summer when she's nine, Janissa goes to the Paul Newman camp, and when we pick her up, she's coughing and sick. I bring her to the doctor, and they say the cancer is back. Janissa was diagnosed in kindergarten. Now she's in third grade, but instead of being in school, she's at Benedictine Hospital. I'm there with her every minute of the day, just being with her. One day she calls me over and asks for a hug. I go over and hold her. She says, thank you for being a good mommy. I love you. Then she squeezes me tight and says, I'm all right. I'm with grandma now. She takes her last breath and dies in my arms. For a long time, I hold myself together, going about my daily routine. 
I don't even know what to feel or what to do. I consider myself a strong Christian woman. Do I cry? Do I break down? Do I open myself up to be vulnerable? During the day, I'm okay. But at night, I can't close my eyes without seeing her face as she's lying in the casket. I don't share this with anyone. One night, I can't hold it anymore. I find myself lying on the floor screaming, why, why, why did this happen? That's when God says to me, I could have let her live, but not in that condition. I could have healed her, but I wanted to make her whole. Instantly, I feel a wave of peace. I suddenly understand I've been doing the best I can as a mother. Janice's bravery brought together a whole community and a whole family. Her school, the George Washington School, had a Janice Day, and they planted a tree with her name on a plaque to commemorate her life. You can pass by the school on Wall Street in Midtown Kingston and see that tree. And my other three children, they've all grown up to be wonderful people. Even though when they were younger, I couldn't provide for them materially, we had the support of my mother and our community. They each finished high school and went to college. And both my daughters waited until they were in their mid to late 20s to have children. Together, we have broken that generational curse. I returned to school, got my degree, worked in the legal profession for a long time. I ran for office and got elected as alderwoman. When I was younger, I couldn't see what I had in me, but Janissa, my youngest daughter, she saw it and she helped to set me on my path. A special thanks to Rita for sharing her story. Stay tuned for the next episode when Brian contemplates reaching out to an ex-girlfriend to see if, a decade later, he can right the wrongs of the past. Hi, I'm Shantae, the host of Edges. Edges is a storytelling podcast where Black hair and mental health intersect. It's about all the choices that we make with our hair, all the choices that are made for us, all the things that we have no control over, and how that all really impacts our identity, both how we feel about ourselves and how the world perceives us, for better or for worse. Subscribe to Edges on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'm Eva Tenuto. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. TMI Project is available to offer true storytelling workshops and performances for your school or workplace. This episode of Season 3 of the TMI Project podcast, Stories for Choice, was produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. It was written by me and edited, produced, and mixed by Daisha Clay. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. Our operations and programs manager is Blake File. Our marketing and digital coordinator is Laura Marie Ruoco. 
Our administrative assistant is Elijah Jackson. Our graphic designer is Lauren Gill. Our workshop leaders are Perla Iora, Kaepelie Kalnick, Haley Downs, Jonathan Gonzalez, Rain Grayson, Ray Lipkin, Dara Laurie, Micah, Julie Novak, Blake File, and me, Eva Tenuto. To learn more, support our work, and find a special writing prompt so you can start telling your story, visit tmiproject.org slash podcast.